Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch on RegulatorWatch.com. I'm actually here in Warsaw, Poland. Some of you may have seen our coverage here at GFN 22, and I wanted to take a moment uh, to have a quick interview with Dr. Brad Rodu uh, from the University of Kentucky, Louisville. Is that it? University of Louisville. Right, in Kentucky. There we go. <laughs> That's it. Now, you, you've been on our show before, but for those who haven't seen you, please share a little bit about who you are and what your work is. I'm a professor of medicine at the university, and I hold an endowed chair in tobacco harm reduction research at the cancer center there. So you, you see uh, the damage done from smoking at its most horrible point. That's exactly right. Both in my, well, not so much in my present position, but in my past position at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, I was actively engaged in clinics under the microscope uh, and across the cancer center with patients who had uh, received diagnoses for dreaded cancers related to smoking. So I saw the end results of a career of smoking. Now, you also have a, a blog that you put out. Is it, what is it, Tr Tobacco yes, Truth? Yes, Radu Tobacco Truth is the name of my blog. Right, and now, so you're, you're a fierce advocate of honesty and research. That's correct. We've seen a lot, especially with the advent of vaping, although this started with smokeless tobacco 40 years ago. Uh, but with vaping, we've seen a rash of very bad research, um, and in fact, distorted, exaggerated, and at times fraudulent research, uh, making claims that vaping causes a number of different diseases. Yeah, the list is almost endless if you think about it. Um, in the United States and Canada, and we'll focus our conversation here on both sides of the border, in Canada, you, you're well aware, in 2018, the federal liberal government made vaping legal. They rewrote their Tobacco Act to be the Tobacco and Vaping Products Act. This is after many years of consultations with industry, health care professionals, you know, the, the parliamentary committee and Senate committees on health totally went through every part of the issue and Health Canada reviewed all of the science and put its stamp of approval on making it legal. Mm -hmm. But within literally six months of, of the law becoming uh, into assent and becoming into effect, the epidemic over teen vaping, the so-called epidemic over teen vaping, began to unwind legal vaping in Canada. And we're at a point now where, you know, Hundreds, if not thousands, of businesses have closed or are in jeopardy of closing. Nicotine concentrations have been cut by well over half. The flavors that the variety of flavors are now threatened, uh, and the overall media assault and assault from uh, the health regulator is unending. What What's your thoughts on what's going on in Canada? Well, I'm as an American, I'm embarrassed to say that I think you're reproducing our experience where teen vaping concerns uh, and exaggerated teen vaping is a great uh, way to put it have overridden all concerns for adult smokers who need to quit and so I, I'm sorry that we've had that we've transferred to you uh, that uh, fake crisis 
because uh, it's driving, it's now driving your policies. A year or two ago, I wrote an op-ed in McLean's uh, saying, please Canada, pay attention to the Royal College of Physicians, pay attention to what the UK's doing, because they're taking a rational approach. They're helping lots of smokers. And sure, they have their issues, but they're doing a lot better job than on this side of the Atlantic. So let's talk then about the teen vaping epidemic in the US because it, it is the driver for what's been going on in Canada. Although there was definitely an uptick in Canada, but it was, it was uh, preceded by and followed, which was what seemed to be a very coordinated public relations campaign uh, going on in the US. So was there an epidemic of teen vaping in the US of consequence? Well, let's put it this way. Teen vaping increased in the United States. There's no doubt about that. And any drug use by teens should be concer of concern to responsible health professionals. That, there's no doubt about that. But was it an actual threatening epidemic? The answer is absolutely not. And here's why. Number one, the federal authorities used the survey, which gives them the absolute highest numbers. They've been doing that for years. When there are other federal surveys that, where the estimates are about half of those. So that's number one. Number two uh, is the CDC, when it reports teen vaping numbers, never separates them from smoking numbers. They report both numbers together, but we know there's dual use among those youth. And so it looks like both, it, it just is, a, is the wrong way to report that kind of information. Number three, the CDC has never acknowledged that while teen vaping rates went up, smoking rates among high school students went to almost unmeasurable depths. It, it's almost disappeared. Smoking uh, among high school students is at record lows, even during the vaping increases. And it's not just high school students, but those smoking rates have transferred over to the lowest ever smoking rates among young adults, 18 to 24 years old. So we're seeing sustainable impact that within 20 or 30 years is going to have a huge public health impact because people aren't going to be getting smoking-related diseases. That's going to be fantastic. The other thing that the CDC never differentiates in these teen vaping numbers is marijuana use. Teens are vaping, but what are they vaping? They're not clear about that. We know that high school kids have been using marijuana at a constant rate of somewhere around 25% since the 1980s or 90s. We know that. And now they're vaping it, but the CDC surveys don't distinguish between marijuana vaping, clearly marijuana vaping and nicotine vaping. And that's important because I know, and I've blogged about this, that the, that the higher frequency that high school kids vape, according to NYTS, the higher frequency they also marijuana vape. So what's going on? 
we don't know with any precision. And then finally, and I hate to rant about this, but finally, uh, there's all this concern, there's all this crisis that's been created by all these uh, 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 groups about vaping. Where's the concern about alcohol use among teens, which has always been at a high level? Marijuana use, texting while driving, uh, sexual uh, activity. Where are the concerns about much more dangerous and risky behaviors for kids than vaping nicotine? And again, I'm not trying to dismiss any concern about vaping, but I'm trying to put it in perspective for American parents. The issue for many within uh, tobacco harm reduction is asking government and media to look at the continuum of risk, right? And so that's really important along the scale of tobacco use. So when you're talking about cannabis use and alcohol use, it's not even on the same scale. Right, absolutely not. And when you said continuum of risk, I have a slightly different take on continuum of risk. Yes, there is one, but for me, the continuum is up here for smoking, and then when you go to any smoke-free nicotine or tobacco delivery system, it's no longer continuous as if it's linear. It drops off to nothing, virtually nothing. That, I think, is a, is a concept that we need to appreciate more and more, that it's, you know, a continuum is, is gradual. This isn't gradual. When you eliminate smoke, you eliminate virtually all the risk. Now, when you said that the CDC doesn't separate the vaping of nicotine and the vaping of cannabis with inside those results, I mean, we sure saw the effect of that when it came to the so-called vaping-related lung illness, which they pasted straight onto nicotine. Absolutely. And number one, Evali, which is the term they use, is completely misnamed. And they never, even when the evidence definitely was clear, the CDC never changed the name, never acknowledged uh, that, that it was the, these illicit THC and marijuana products. That's irresponsible. There, there's, no, there's nothing that can defend that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, action, inaction about uh, nicotine vaping and and uh, marijuana vaping. And the other thing that's important is this is what the CDC is supposed to do. When you have a bad potato salad or a bad food, the CDC can move in and within weeks or a month or so know exactly what the source is. They can track it back. What happened with Evali? It took them six months to a year to even start to arrive at any conclusions. Uh, I, I just didn't understand the delay. There were people like Mike Siegel and others that had already known that uh, this was caused by these illicit products, but yet the aura remained that this was about nicotine and tobacco. So what do we do about this? Because the, the simple fact is, is that the E-Valley uh, misinformation around that, the push on that, was, as they say, it was the shot heard around the world. Mm -hmm. There isn't a market that hasn't been affected by it. it. It's affected almost every market where vaping products, nicotine vapes, you know, have had a foothold. 
it, it could quite literally be responsible for wiping out vaping in the U.S. and Canada. Well, it certainly has hurt vaping. You know, I one of my blogs discussed uh, this FDA claim that they had targeted teens with some of their anti-vaping messages. They target teens only. Well, they may target teens, but adults are reading the messages too, and it's turning adults away from vaping, adults who are smoking and need to switch. So I don't understand. You know, they accuse, um, they accuse the vaping companies of that are uh, advertising adults, they accuse them of all of that moving over to children, and yet when their children's um, ads, they, they feel like they can be retained only in children. So again, a discrepancy that is impossible. But I agree, everything that hurts vaping hurts the, the ability for adult smokers to switch. For those people out there that aren't smokers and aren't vapors, you know, the vast majority of the population in, say, North America, I mean, what could you say, why should they care about this issue? Um, for most part, they just think, you know, why don't these people quit? And vaping, we don't want kids to vape. And, you know, it's a dirty habit, no matter whether it's vaping or smoking. Yeah, with any, with any drug use throughout history, uh, Americans, th th that's, been their general, that's been their general approach, is just quit. You know, we saw that with Reagan in the, in the 80s. Uh, we saw that with alcohol in the 20s. Um, and now we're seeing it with tobacco. You just have to quit. And we're willing to give you 10, 15, 20 times with the same things, with the same things that don't work, we're, we're willing to pr put up with that. Uh, the problem is that people end up getting, uh, getting into serious medical trouble before they're able to quit. So uh, that mindset has to change. We have to allow people to continue to use nicotine and tobacco products, uh, but, it, but it, in much safer delivery systems. The last time we had you on RegWatch, was to address uh, that, you know, 480,000 in the U.S., it's 48,000 in Canada. There's, if you go in any, you know, uh, region, there will be a number uh, that, of the number of people who are said to die each year from smoking-related illness. That number, strangely, is the exact same number year over year over year for decades. Meanwhile, smoking rate is crashing. You know, medical technology, you know, drugs get better, but yet we always hear that same number. And for me, thinking about it is, well, maybe it, maybe that number is inflated, and and maybe that's one of the reasons why tobacco control doesn't really connect with the deaths. It's not really an accurate number. It's a propaganda number. That, of course. Tobacco, you know, tobacco harm reduction and people who are fighting also are happy to use because it's an official number. Uh, it, that's, a, that's a great point. And the only thing I would say kind of in contrast to it is that we all know the smoking prevalence, the, the, the rate of smoking is declining. We, there's no question about that. But at the same time, the population of the United States has grown. And so the number of smokers 
hasn't declined as much as we would have expected. And the deaths are related to the number of smokers, not just the percentage. That's, that's one thing. However, in 28 years, okay, and of all these numbers that I've been observing, the CDC has never told anyone how it generates those numbers. It generates them from a, a, a circa 1990 American Cancer Society study. And outside those two organizations, no one else has ever seen the actual data. I know this because I asked for it. And I asked the CDC, and believe it or not, Brent, the CDC said we've never seen it. The CDC claimed they never saw how the number that they use every year was calculated. They said the American Cancer Society calculated the number. And the American Cancer Society refused my request for their data. So it's never, that number has never been validated outside those two agencies by an independent observer or scientist. Now, as you indicated, it's even worse because that formula, those numbers, are reproduced for any other country in the world. They use a basically the same formula that the CDC and Cancer Society use. I, I, I'm just stunned that that's how we we um, uh, have done this with no supervision, no observation by any independent authority. It's mind boggling. And so how do we know if and when that number will ever get looked at and changed? I, I, I agree. I agree. I, I don't know uh, because it seems to have been at exactly the same number for at least a decade. Uh, I, it's appalling. It's absolutely appalling. Now, FDA investigators have done some other calculations, and they've acknowledged that the number has come down. But the CDC's never acknowledged it. So it's, it's not clear even what different federal investigators are doing with those numbers. But you're right. No one wants that number to come down because it reduces the crisis. I totally agree with that. There's always, you know, and that's what the federal government does with all of the numbers. It always cherry picks the highest number, just like teen vaping. The epidemic is always based on the survey, the National Youth Tobacco Survey, which gives us the highest estimate. That's the goal. There are two other federal surveys. One's called the Knowledge Panel, and the other one's called the PATH survey, famous now, Population Assessment of Tobacco and Health. It's an FDA-sponsored survey, so it, 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 it is a very good survey. The CDC never uses the estimates from teens in those vehicles, those surveys. Never uses them. Now, I can tell you what organization did use a knowledge panel survey, the Truth Initiative. And they published a study showing that the number of teen vapors was, I believe, about half of the number that NYTS was claiming. So, um, 
you know, those numbers are never uh, promoted by these authorities that want to um, make sure that the highest number is always uh, the most visible. You know, you keep an eye on what's going on. Where, what do you see in the next couple of months that you're going to have to combat against? Because, I mean, certainly in the U.S. campaign for tobacco-free kids isn't going anywhere. We have new leadership at FDA. We have new leadership at CTV, which has come from the CDC. And from what I understand, actually um, has some experience uh, with the vaping-related lung il illness and so forth. It doesn't sound like there's a lot of friends at FDA or CDC with this new group of leadership. I agree. Uh, I don't think it's a, a time for a lot of optimism. We still have a lot of products that haven't been reviewed, uh, some major products. Um, uh, we still don't know what's going to happen with nicotine pouches. There are a lot of unknowns, and uh, which means there's a lot of things that smokers aren't being um, given access to yet. So I, I agree. We, there's still a lot of concerns, and w I said it six years ago in our interview, and I'll say it again, the research flow of exaggerated and distorted information about these safer products is not going to end soon. And I take it as my responsibility to try to examine that research and find areas where it's uh, defective. Do you think that there might have been you know, a change a bit in the research? Like we've reported that over the last year, it seems that there's been at least an uptick in, in some research that is, you know, more balanced. You know, obviously the efforts from Dr. Warner, Kenneth Absolutely. Warner, and Abigail Friedman, mm -hmm. and even, you know, jo Dr. Jonathan Folds was just on our show. Mm -hmm. There seems to be that there's a bit of a, a, a growing pushback uh, from some researchers in this area. I agree, I agree. There are, there are researchers in isolated spots throughout the country and hopefully in Canada who are at least trying to do the right thing and trying to conduct and report legitimate research about the pros and cons of these products. Now what about the 8 million people who vape, rely on vaping in the U.S.? Come July 15th with the, the synthetic nicotine uh, being pulled off of the market What's going to happen to all those millions of existing vapors once this happens? You know, I'm at least somewhat confident that the existing committed vapors will find ways to continue to vape. Um, and I won't go too far into what those ways might be, but I think they'll continue because I think they've they know how important it is for them. I again tend to worry about the smokers who never really considered it and who will continue to smoke and continue to die. 